Good morning again, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire with another Sunday School lesson. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the doctrine of Scripture. Um, a lot of Christians are interested in evangelism, but they know very little about what they believe in and why they believe it. One of the um, uh, objectives of this uh, series and, and of uh, Spring Meadows uh, Charter in, in the first place is to um, help Christians to understand what they believe. And the very core of that is Scripture, it is God's Word to us. So let's go ahead and, and pray before we begin. Dear Lord, help us to be immersed in your Word, to know it, to love it, and to ultimately be changed by it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The relationship between apologetics, sharing our faith and, and defending our faith, and theology uh, cannot be understated. Theology is the study of God. And if we are studying God, then we will know more about him. And if we know more about him, then we are uh, more apt and more able to defend the belief that he has given us. Um, uh, apologetics itself is, is a biblical and a theological endeavor. Uh, this is um, kind of surprising to some people who think it's an emotional or a philosophical exercise. And while apologetics um, often deal with the same questions that philosophers talk about, why are we here, what are we doing, uh, where are we going, um, it is not primarily philosophical. Philosophy rejects divine revelation. It, it, it seems to indicate that we must figure things out on our own. We must use human reason or some other um, uh, device to, to figure out why we're here and where we're going. But God says, you know, I will tell you because I created you. Our apologetic needs to be in line with our theology. If our theology indicates that there is divine revelation uh, and that the um, uh, that scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, then our theology needs to reflect that. Our theology tells us that man is completely depraved and is hopeless without the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, we should not uh, develop an apologetic method that counts on the objectivity or, or goodness of humanity. Um, everyone is basically good, so therefore, just listen to these five simple rules, and then you uh, will open the door to Jesus, and he'll walk into your life. By knowing sound doctrine, which that was not an example of, we can then apply that doctrine to the conversations that we're having with unbelievers. It makes us logically then, in reference to last week, consistent because we are not um, using one standard for how we look at scripture and one standard for how we talk to other people. We are using the same standard. Scripture tells us that men are fallen and depraved and our apologetic should and, and does reflect that. 
let's now then talk about the Bible. There are lots of ideas floating around there about what the Bible is. Um, some people will, you know, lump it in with the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran or any other of um, you know, many sacred uh, religious books from around the world. Pious people and their reflections on their faith and reflections on the world around them, um, or a book of collected myths and legends and uh, miraculous stories. Um, but this is not what we see when we see the Bible. The Christian view is that the Bible is the revelation of God. It is God's word about himself, about what he's done, and about the people who he's set aside, um, and his plan to redeem the world. The very word of God to his creatures uh, for the purpose of redemption. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that the words of Scripture are the very words of God, breathed out by God himself. This is what we refer to as the doctrine of inspiration. To inspire means to breathe in. God, the Holy Spirit, has placed himself on human authors and writes the words that we read so that every word and, and the, the entire finished product are exactly what God wants to, uh, he, he wants his people to hear without any errors. And that's what we refer to as inerrancy, without errors. Because God is the ultimate author of scripture, his power and his authority are invested in it. The Bible is not a dead book of meaningless or, or even inspiring um, legends and myths. It is the very word of God, so it has power in it. It is the power to expose, to convict, to transform the human heart from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Unbelievers often think that Christians are really just following instructional teachings, you know, a lifeless, dead, 2,000-year-old uh, book of facts and commandments. That's not the case. It's not reality. Christians are following a living God who has spoken in and through his word and is still speaking today. It's a powerful, living document. And when we defend the Bible, we must do it with this in mind. Our relationship to the Bible is not like um, a set of instructions from Ikea. We're not putting together a bookshelf. We are rather looking at our family history. It's our, our family tree. And so we connect with the people in it in a way that um, is supernatural almost. I often will get emotional when reading passages of scripture because the, the people in them are so real to me. Farnham, in his book, helpfully um, compares scripture to a handwritten invitation by the President of the United States to dine weekly with him at the White House. Such an in invitation, he says, would contain some instructions, of course, but it's 
primary intent would be to invite you into a, rela a relationship with a kind and, and powerful ruler who wants to invite you to serve him in a prestigious position. Even more, it is like receiving legal papers informing you that you have been adopted into a family who loves you and wants you to come home and, and be part of the family. Christians don't believe the Bible because it makes us feel good. We believe the Bible because we have come to a faith that is, is given to us by the Spirit, and that faith tells us that this is the story of how we are restored to God. The, the Bible goes further in clearly teaching how we are able to participate in his redemptive work and the life of redemption uh, and how then we are able to have a joyful and, and peaceful eternity. It's a collection of 66 different books written by different authors over the course of 14 or 1500 years, but it is absolutely unified in its message. The Old Testament was written you know, over a thousand years or so, and the manuscripts were very carefully preserved by the Jewish people because they understood the importance of them. The, there was a uh, scroll that was found charred and, and almost burned beyond recognition in a very ancient synagogue, and uh, the scroll itself was over 2,000 years old. And researchers could not open it up to read it, so they developed a uh, imaging and computer program that would virtually uh, unroll the scroll and allow them to read it. And what they found were passages from Leviticus the oldest such known existing passages from uh, Leviticus that are exactly, except for a couple of spelling, spelling errors, exactly consistent with what we read when we open the Bible and look at Leviticus today. And the article that I was reading said that that was remarkable, and it is, it's, it's remarkable, but it is entirely consistent with what we know and what we believe about the Bible. In addition, the New Testament was written over a 50-ish year span and was carefully preserved by the Christian church. We're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible in a little bit. The books of the Bible are comprised of many different writing styles, what in literature is called a genre. Uh, there are books of law, of history, of poetry, of wisdom literature, um, and then prophetic books. In the New Testament, there are ancient um, biographies, which we call the Gospels. There are, uh, there's a, a book of history called Acts, and then letters to the different various churches and individuals within those churches. Um, there's a book of apocalyptic literature. Uh, each of these genres serves a purpose um, in the unfolding story of redemption 
and but they're they're different purposes and so they are different books and and different people you you can see the the mark of humanity on each of these books and that's the one of the wonderful things about the way the the bible came to us it didn't come to us dropped wholly from heaven it came to us via the creative output of real people at real times in in real history this is important because we want unbelievers to read the bible but we want to one perfectly describes the way that we received the Bible. It starts in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and for we were with him on the holy mountain and way and we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Christian, when we look at the Bible, this is the lens through which we look at it. We see a book that is not um, written in secret. We see a book of eyewitness accounts and of prophetic movings uh, by the Holy Spirit. Mormonism and Islam have uh, very different accounts of how they received their scriptures. You know, by in in secret through various gold plates and such, God rather in Christianity communicates to human authors in various ways through inspiration and and into poetry and into straightforward history. Uh, but it it is exactly the way that God wanted to reveal them we see that human authors who wrote the books of the Bible didn't do so on their own initiative. That's what Second Peter tells us. They did not decide to sit down and write these sacred texts as a way of like, you know, showing how smart they were or how much wisdom they had to communicate. Rather, the Holy Spirit moved them and change their hearts and their minds to communicate these design, uh, divine thoughts. The end result is that scripture accurately communicates exactly what God wants to say. The word translated carried along or moved um, within the, that passion in Second Peter is also used to describe the effect the wind has on sails. The wind blows into the sails, which moves the ship forward. Peter is saying here that as the Holy Spirit initiated revelation to the authors of Scripture, they wrote under his influence. We talked a little bit about, in a previous installment, the number of manuscripts that are available of the New Testament. Over 5,800, which makes it by far the most widely available ancient text in the history of mankind. There's a reason for this. It was very faithfully kept, very faithfully copied, 
and very faithfully preserved over the course of many hundreds of years and, and now thousands of years. The conclusion we're left with then is that the Bible is extremely reliable, extremely consistent, and well-preserved, even though portions of it are 3,500 years old. Farnham, in his book, talks about the role that the Bible plays in Christian doctrine. First, he talks about the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning that the Bible contains everything we need to know for salvation and living in a way that is pleasing to God. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. Um, there's no lacking in Scripture. It is a finished and final, complete document that communicates everything that a Christian knows in order to be reconciled to God and everything that we need to know about God in order to uh, relate to him rightly. Sufficiency also means that the Scripture is the final word from God. There is no New Testament that is going to come from uh, another part of the world or uh, about uh, a, another thing that God has done, this is it. This is the Bible that we have, and, and we, uh, it, it, we need to understand its sufficiency. Um, second, the clarity of Scripture means that these things are not um, uh, hidden. They are not uh, hidden truths or things that you need some special uh, ability to interpret or some special um, guidance uh, from some amazing human teacher to fully get. No, it's, it's clear. It is God um, speaking in plain human terms about who he is and what he wants us to know. Clarity means that you don't need to be a religious expert in order to interpret the Bible. Every Christian possesses the indwelling Holy Spirit and is the, thus guided already to understanding what the Bible means and what, what it contains. Third, the authority of Scripture means that the Bible being revealed from God himself obligates us to listen to it. Whatever the Bible says is truth, and therefore it needs to arbitrate then between competing truth claims. This doesn't mean that other human endeavors, science and, and some forms of philosophy, help us to know and understand our world, but if they contradict a clear statement in Scripture, the determination of truth lies with Scripture. Just because the Bible says something I don't like or makes me feel uncomfortable or I disagree with doesn't mean it's not true. That would be subjective. The Bible is objective. The authority of Scripture implies that it is trustworthy. It has no errors, and it's reliable. Now, this is challenged in lots of ways in our uh, current world and in the world of the past, but the Bible has always proven itself to stand up to the scrutiny of the human mind. Unbelievers want to elevate their own reason uh, above the authority of the Bible, but this fails them. Whatever man considers to be wiser than God is shown to be foolishness. The necessity of Scripture, finally, means that apart from God revealing himself to us through Scripture, we could not really know God. We can see God around us in his creation. That's what Romans tells us. 
but we can't really know him. That's general revelation. General revelation just means that the world around us is so complex and amazing that it must have been created by a complex and amazing God. But special revelation to really know the mind of God, that is the core of scripture. And without scripture, we couldn't know it. Scripture is therefore necessary. If God hadn't revealed himself in the Bible, we cannot possibly know the story of redemption. Because he's given us his word, though, we can know and love the riches of that gift and the riches of salvation through Christ. The necessity of God's word, Farnham says, for salvation means that unless someone brings the word of God to unbelievers, they won't know how to be saved. So in order for us to defend our faith, we must know what the Bible teaches about itself and what Christians have always believed about it very consistently from the very beginning. The Bible is the bedrock of all that we know and believe and serves as our foundation for knowledge. It is important that we really and firmly grasp these truths about scripture because people are going to attack it. People are going to attack you for believing a dusty old book from 2,000 years ago. But frankly, Christian, there, the Bible is not a, a fact book to be memorized. It's not a dusty book. It is a living and breathing, open revelation that says God is out there. God knows us. God has a plan for us. And ultimately, that God would sacrifice his own son in order to show that love and to bring us back to himself. When we eat, sleep, and breathe scripture, our senses are sharpened to discern and to refute the arguments that people will bring up against us that are false and idolatrous. The Holy Spirit uses our knowledge of the scriptures to give our minds the sharp ability to know what to say at the right time. Make that your prayer today. Christian, that you would be submersed in scripture throughout this week, that you would take this to heart, that God has given you a direct pipeline to his mind through these inspired writers from our family tree. Go read them, enjoy them, and most of all, be ready to defend them. Thanks.